Today's episode is brought to you by Facebook Watch. 12 years ago, a mysterious cult walked into the woods in search of a better life. Now, all that's left is ashes, two dead bodies, and one girl. Uncover what happened to Minnow Bly in Sacred Lies, a new series only on Facebook Watch. In Facebook, click on the Facebook Watch icon or follow the Sacred Lies show page for new episodes on Fridays. This is a disclaimer. The original Sleeping Beauty story has an instance of sexual assault. It's not graphic, but it's there. Please see the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the horrifying original story of Sleeping Beauty, where you'll learn how a 15-year power nap can be very hazardous to your health, and how a simple career day demonstration can lead to you living the rest of your life as a fugitive. The creature this week is Elephant Rat, a rascally little scamp who likes to escape from his owner's house and murder. This is Myths and Legends, episode 119, Rude Awakening. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Sleeping Beauty. If you're a Myths and Legends member and, shameless plug, enjoy ad-free versions of the show and our monthly bonus Fairy Tale Friday episodes, you might recognize Sleeping Beauty as the first bonus episode we covered. However, that was 2015, and I hope you agree we've improved since then. Well, so is our adaptation of this particular story. This new and highly requested episode comes from the first recorded story of Sleeping Beauty that we have, put down to paper in the 1600s by Neapolitan writer Giambattista Basile. But watch out. This original story is bizarre and dark. So here we go. Once there was a king who, at last, found himself blessed with a much-awaited daughter and heir. Soon after her birth, the king invited a group of well-known fortune-tellers, astrologers, and wise men over to tell him how awesome her life was going to be. The king plopped down across from the wise men and astrologers, rubbing his palms together vigorously. All right, let's do this. Was it going to be good news or was it great news? The men and women exchanged glances from the far side of the table. No one really wanted to talk first. The king's smile began to fade. Okay, what was wrong with his daughter? What was wrong with Talia? All the astrologers were quick to say that nothing was wrong. Well, yet. The king rolled his eyes. Out with it. What do you know? A splinter of flax. Great danger would come to Talia from a splinter of flax. Like, the worst type of danger. The king sat back and laughed. That's it? He scoffed. No problem. He just banned flax, hemp, and any other material of that sort in his kingdom. That way all the prophecies about her would never come to pass. <laughs> done and done, this was easy. All the counselors, happy to leave with their heads still attached after sharing bad news with the king, neglected to mention that that was completely unenforceable and 100% not how folklore prophecies worked. Instead, they simply nodded, agreed that that sounded like an excellent idea, and left as quickly as possible. It was nice to get out of the office, or the workhouse, whatever it was, for a while. You know, get some fresh air, get some steps in. It was nice. The old woman was so lost in thought 
that she lost track of how long she had been walking. In one hand, she toted a distaff, basically a big cotton candy-looking thing with flax on it, and held a small spindle in her other hand to wrap the thread around. So lost in thought was she that she almost missed the person yelling at her. The old woman turned and saw that it was a beautiful 16-year-old princess, Talia, calling to the old woman from her high window. Ten minutes later, the old woman stood before Talia, confused. How had this teenager never seen a spindle and distaff before? Was she serious right now? Anyway, yeah, sure, she could try it out. It, and no, it wasn't exactly fun. I mean, maybe it was like going fruit picking. You know, fun when you don't have to do it. Okay, so first you stretch out the flax and... Hey, princess? Uh, are you okay? But, of course, she wasn't. As Talia stretched out the flax, the smallest piece lodged itself beneath one of her fingernails. On contact, her body fell limp. Talia stopped breathing and collapsed on the ground with a thud. The old woman's eyes widened as she backed away from the fallen body. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, okay, be cool, self, just be cool. It was just her and the princess in the room. The old woman had no idea what just happened, but she knew she should go get help for the girl. I mean, she might have a medical condition. Or maybe she didn't, and the old lady had just somehow accidentally killed the princess. In which case, the princess's father would probably, very much not by accident, execute the old lady. Yeah. The old woman, distaff and spindle in hand, looked back and forth down the hallway toward help and down the stairs toward escape. As she sprint-hobbled away from the castle, the old woman consoled herself that she may not have done the right thing, but she did the smart thing. It was a decision she'd have to live with, and, according to the story, she's still running to this day. Obviously, the king ended up finding his daughter collapsed on the floor. He stood in shock, a tear falling from his eye. But unlike the old woman, Talia's father did neither the right thing nor the smart thing. Maybe he consulted with the same wise men and astrologers, who foretold that something kind of exactly like this was going to happen, and maybe he did absolutely everything he could. But the story doesn't say that. Sure, it was his only child who was mysteriously struck by an illness, but that only child mysteriously struck by an illness made him sad, and he didn't like feeling sad. The story says that he was so sad that he couldn't even be around his daughter, so he took her on vacation to one of his country estates, laid her out on a bed of pillows, and left her there. He peaced out, locking the door behind him, told absolutely no one she was there, and left her forever. I don't care. Keep knocking until they open up. The bird's life is worth more than yours, the young king, a different king, shouted at his servants. Obediently, they continued pounding on the oak door with renewed vigor. This young king had been out hunting in the forest with his crew, and it was going well, until they found this castle. It was old and overgrown, as though no one had been there in years. But his falcon flew up in one of the upstairs windows, and he couldn't keep going until he retrieved it. Also, he was going to have a word with that bird trainer when he got back. In the meantime, he would start his climb. No matter how much the king berated his servants, no one was answering the door, and it would take them days to chop through it. The shutters on one of the windows had blown open, likely during a storm, and that was where the bird had entered. It was only a 20-foot climb off the ground, and as he hefted himself over the edge of the window into the castle, he saw the bird and something else. 
it was a 16-year-old princess asleep on a bed of pillows. Or dead, it wasn't clear. What was clear was that she was striking. The most beautiful princess he had ever seen. Wow, yeah, she was really good looking. Huh. The king walked over and coughed loudly. She didn't stir. He crept over and nudged her. Okay, so she wasn't dead, at least she didn't feel dead. Her arm was still warm to the touch, but her chest wasn't moving. He looked her up and down. This was a weird situation. Again, he tried to wake her, shaking her shoulder. Nothing. Then, he had an idea. He kissed her. And this wasn't like a fairy tale, being awakened by true love's first kiss sort of thing. This was an incredibly sleazy king, testing out the waters to see if she'd wake up sort of thing. And she didn't. From outside, below the window, one of the king's servants called out, Everything all right, your grace? Should we come up there? He went to the window, and he was half-dressed. He said he found the bird, and something else he wanted to investigate. As he closed the shutter, he said that he would be down when he came down. Until then, they were not to disturb him. He locked the shutter from the inside, and returned to Talia. I'm not going to describe what happens next. It is horrifying, but that is in the original telling of Sleeping Beauty. Sometime later, the king climbed down the tower with the bird, and, without a word, mounted his horse and left the castle far behind. Approximately nine months later, two fairies sat with Talia, periodically telling her to push, but then remembering that she was unconscious. The fairies that watched over the abandoned girl never had time off, but it just so happened that they put it on the schedule long ago, and surprisingly, their vacation time was approved by HR. So the day the young king had arrived, the fairies were gone on a nice little day trip up to the lake. That's the day that Talia became pregnant. Quick sidebar, the story doesn't actually say where the fairies were on the day of the king's visit, but they were around to help unconscious Talia deliver her children. And yes, children. With zero nutrition or prenatal care, Talia was pregnant with twins. A boy and a girl. The fairies cared for Talia through all of it. And it wasn't until the umbilical cords were cut and both children were placed at their mother's breast that the fairies finally rested. The twins had been born. Apparently everything noteworthy happens when the fairies take a day off because months later, after having left the unconscious woman with two infants crawling around a dusty and in no way baby-proofed castle, the babies became hungry. As they clamored for their mother, who was sound asleep on the low bed, the girl finally latched on Talia's finger. The young girl sucked and sucked and she pulled the problematic flax free. Instantly, Talia's eyes opened. Okay, so this one was the distaff and this one was the spindle. Got it. Wait, the princess looked around the dusty room. She was no longer in her room or even in her father's castle, and she had no recollection of how she got here. This was some chamber covered in dust and... Hold on. Whose babies were these? Talia picked up the strange, hungry babies, and they immediately found what they were looking for. As they fed, a sense of dread and panic began to grow inside her. She was lactating and these children knew what to do. They were hers? Where was her father? Surely he'd be searching everywhere for her. Talia didn't know who the father of these babies was, or even when any of this took place. Talia shuddered. 
suddenly feeling very alone. It was quickly obvious that these children were the only family she had left. They were her moon and her sun, and so she named them as such. Sinking into the pillows, Talia clutched her babies, and she cried. you're awake so cool i definitely knew that yeah just coming up here to check and say hi to my very conscious friend the young king said as talia opened her eyes the next time he kissed her his face registered brief surprise before he recovered and continued on acting all smooth the young king ran his fingers through his hair yeah he'd been thinking about her and the next time he was able to get away and go hunting he did and he didn't meander around the country either he went straight for Talia's castle. And he was totally happy, and not at all disappointed in the worst way possible that Talia was now awake. Talia listened, as the young king brazenly told her about the last time he had visited the castle, and how he was excited to meet his children, and, he looked into Talia's eyes, his heirs. Talia saw the sword at his side, and she smiled. The king stayed for days. Talia watched as he played with his children. She watched him watch her. He expected her to play a part, and she played it. He was the type of man who snuck into castles and took advantage of sleeping women. He had a sword with him the whole time he was there. There was no question as to what was going on. Finally, nearly a week later, he announced that he would be leaving. But Talia shouldn't go anywhere. There was business he had to attend to, being king and all, but he would definitely call for her, and she would come live with him in the castle and be his queen. Talia smiled, thanked him, and said she looked forward to it. The king descended from her chamber, Talia's eyes locked on his every move. Each grip and foothold he selected, the entire way. The front gate to the stronghold had rusted from years of disuse, and wouldn't budge. She had tried. She wondered if she could make the climb down, holding two babies. As the king rode away, Talia stayed plastered on his mind. When he sat down for dinner that night, Talia was on his mind. As he met with his advisors, Talia was on his mind. And as the young king slept, Talia was, again, on his mind. He was so enamored with the young woman that, in his sleep, he called out her name. And that's how the young king's wife, the queen, learned of sun, moon, and Talia. You're the king's closest advisor and most trusted friend, am I right? Asked the queen. The king's secretary nodded before taking another sip of wine. The queen smiled. Excellent. Well, she had a very easy choice for him to make, and she hoped he made the right one. She paused and took another drink herself. She knew, she shared. She knew all about Talia. The secretary sat frozen and swallowed hard. A single bead of sweat forming on his forehead queen tried to hide her joy. Good. So he also knew. Like I said, you have a very easy choice to make. Get rich or die. I know which one I would choose. The queen explained her terms. The secretary would spill everything he knew about this Talia person right now and she would give him his weight in gold and a lordship. If he didn't, well, the kind knight standing behind him would be the last person to ever see him alive. Or... Say the secretary only told her part of what he knew. 
and she learned about it later. Well, then the royal guard would find him and murder him in his sleep. Sound fair? The secretary drained his glass and nodded. What, what did the queen want to know? Talia heard the man grunting at the wall and was quite surprised to see the bald head of the king's secretary peeking over the edge of the window. Talia helped pull him inside and he produced a letter sealed with the king's very own royal stamp. Talia looked up from the paper and the secretary took the letter back. Two more knights had finished climbing up the wall as she read. Now, the three men stood there, blocking her from the tower's only exit. Talia gritted her teeth and nodded. She would go get them. Each knight took a baby in a sling down the ladders. The secretary was the last to go. Talia put her hand on his as he found the ladder and began his descent. She asked if the king really loved the children, as he had said in the letter, that he missed them so much that he just had to see them. But the secretary wouldn't meet her gaze. He mumbled something about that being correct and then promised the king would call upon her soon. Until then, stay in the castle. As she watched them pull the ladders away, she sighed. Now they had her children. What choice did she have? Have you ever heard the story of Atreus? The queen asked the head cook after she cleared out the kitchen. The man nervously shook his head. The queen sighed. Okay, how about Procne and Philomena? The cook said no. Uh, okay. Cronus and his children? Tantalus? Lycon? The cook shrugged. No, no, and no. The queen sighed and rolled her eyes. All right, she'd make this easy. See these babies? Yeah. She wanted the cook to kill them and serve them to the king at dinner tonight. The cook's eyes widened, and he stood there, stunned. Your grace? With a step forward, the queen insisted. She would make this very easy for him. Either he killed the babies, or she killed the cook. With that, she dropped off the kids and promptly left the room. Now, I'm very firmly in the anti-kid cooking camp, but the queen made the very rookie supervillain mistake of just assuming something horrible was going to happen after she left the room. This would be a pretty big ask for anyone, let alone a kind-hearted old chef who had served the family for generations. In the end, he didn't even try to steal himself for the job. He'd rather the queen find out and he'd be executed than obey her horrible command. So as soon as the queen left the room, the old chef ran to his wife to hide the kids. He then went straight to the butcher and called in a favor. Just that morning, two lambs had been born. I'm not sure why he needed to kill two newborn lambs. It's not like the queen was checking up on him and even if she was, it wasn't like the lambs were going to be an effective stand-in for children. Regardless, he had a stew prepared just in time for dinner. He watched from behind a nearby curtain as the queen sat in smug satisfaction and the king unwittingly did not eat his own children. You are eating what is your own, the queen said ominously before downing another long sip of wine. The king gave a courtesy smile. Okay, cool, whatever. He barely looked up from his food and continued slurping at the stew. It was only after the queen repeated herself three more times that the king slammed a spoon down. He knew, he knew he was eating his own because everything in this castle belonged to him. 
He was the king, and she had brought next to nothing to this marriage to support his house. So yeah, pretty sure he knew he was eating his own. The king returned to his meal, but then shook his head. You know what? He didn't want to be around her anymore. Loudly, he stood and stormed from the dining room without another word, leaving later that very night for one of his remote villas. Coincidentally, that was the same night that Talia received another message, straight from the king's secretary. The king wanted to see her. He longed for her, and he wanted to rule with her by his side, as his queen. Also, she was to leave immediately. Talia rode through the night, and by evening the next day, she had arrived at the city. It was beautiful. Her summons had instructed her to go directly to the throne room. And as she neared, her nerves surged. Timidly, Talia asked about her children, or the king's children. No one answered. Instead, the doors burst open, and there, sitting on the throne, was the queen. Talia approached with caution. Who, who are you? The queen stared at the girl coldly, but then laughed. Who was she? She was the queen. She should be asking Talia who she was. But the queen already knew. Talia was the nobody who had been sleeping with her husband. In that moment, Talia felt as though her heart had stopped. Breathe, she reminded herself. What? He was married? She looked up. No. Talia threw herself on the floor, begging her forgiveness. It hadn't been her fault. The king had come to her in the night, when she was unconscious. She never asked for this. She and the queen, they were on the same team. Talia groveled at the queen's feet. Whatever happened, please, would the queen spare the children? Talia was blameless, but they were completely innocent. Unwavering and unmoved by the scene before her, the queen told Talia that she would see the children soon. Tonight, actually. You see, they were dead, and Talia was going to be burned alive in the courtyard. The queen didn't care about any of the lies Talia told her in an attempt to get out of it. Talia sobbed as the knights opened the door, revealing a bonfire roaring in the courtyard beyond. As the soldiers dragged her by the arms, she screamed, wait. And, for some reason, the queen listened. Through deep sobs, Talia begged the queen, please. She wanted to save her dress. It was encrusted with jewels, and it had been in her family for generations. She didn't know what had become of her father, and Talia wanted to save the dress, so that not everything of hers perished under the queen's hate. The dress was unarguably gorgeous, the queen noted. Hmm, she and the girl were roughly the same size, so... Yeah, whatever, just make it quick. Talia did not make it quick. She removed each piece one by one, and with each step, she howled more loudly and more pitifully. I'm not sure what her endgame here was, though I can say that were my own immolation imminent, I would do absolutely everything I could to put as much time between me and the flames as possible. But what Talia didn't know was that, with the door open and her cries growing louder and louder, this whole scene came to attract the attention of the king as he rode by. He had finished up with his me-time escape at his fancy villa, and now he was planning to go visit Talia and the kids when he noticed a giant bonfire. Had he not heard Talia's screams echoing across the open fields, 
he probably wouldn't have turned to investigate, but he did here, and he rushed to check it out. He arrived just in time to witness Talia fighting against the knights as they dragged her out into the courtyard. The blaze was so strong that it started to burn her skin and dry her tears as she neared. She steeled herself. She would die here, and then she would join her children. Her short, tragic life would have an even more brutal end. But then the night stopped. Talia looked up as the king stormed the front gate. Immediately, the entire court froze and bowed low to the ground. Of course, the sudden silence was unexpected. So the queen left the palace, demanding to know why the knights had stopped. And that's when she found herself staring straight at her furious king. Motioning Natalia in the bonfire, he demanded to know what was going on in his own castle. The queen informed him that she had found Talia and the two children. She had already ensured the children wouldn't be a threat to hers when they were born. And now, well, she was just burning some trash. The king thundered down from his horse, his face pale. What, what did the queen do to the children? She laughed. The king didn't know. Oh, well, this was going to be fun. That dinner he enjoyed the other night? The one where he didn't understand the queen's cryptic messages? Well, here's some context. That meaty, delicious stew. Those were his children. The king spun around Natalia, who nodded tearfully. It was true. As the king fell to the ground, overcome by grief, the queen smiled. Confidently, she motioned to the knights to continue, but her smile quickly faded. This is where the queen's misjudgment became fatal. While the king was gone, she was the de facto leader, but with him back, the knights didn't look to the queen for their orders, but to the king. So you can imagine how shocked she was when the knights seized not Talia, but the queen herself, and started dragging her toward the fire. Maybe she was so drunk in her own power that she didn't realize it had slipped away. Or maybe she thought her big reveal involving the children was so crushing to the king that he wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Regardless, the king, more angry than crushed about his children and the attempted murder of his mistress, ordered his own wife thrown into the fire that she had prepared for her rival. It wasn't long before the king discovered who betrayed him to his wife, and so the secretary was also dragged into the fire next. Of course, the cook was an easy one. No one could have made the children into a stew without his knowledge. The old cook tried in vain to explain himself to the knights but it wasn't until the king was within earshot, not 10 feet from the blaze, that he managed to communicate that the children were still alive. The king stopped mid-stride and held up his hand. Let the cook speak. There really is no happy ending here. Yeah, Talia survives and becomes queen after the king marries her, and the children become heirs to the kingdom. The cook becomes a lord, acquiring the dukedom that the secretary, whose bones were still smoldering in the courtyard, had been promised by the queen. But it's still not a happy close to the story. The bad guy, the king, he wins. The queen was bad, yeah. We've been over this. You shouldn't cook children into dishes, and you shouldn't serve humans to their parents, or really anyone. But, I mean, the queen was playing the Game of Thrones with everything she had. The stakes were extremely high for the queen. If the king returned with Talia, that was it for her. And something tells me that a rapist king who's planning to bring his beautiful young lover to replace his wife isn't going to be kind to said wife when he, 
releases her from her duties. Sure, he could exile her, but I wouldn't put it past him to have her brought up on trumped-up charges and executed. Seriously, the moment the queen found out about Talia, her life was on the line. Her fatal flaw was that she went with style, trying to get the king to eat his own children and then publicly execute Talia, instead of speed, which would just be sending some knights to Talia's castle the moment she learned of the girl. So, I guess the evil queen was doing everything she could to survive in a story that's so patriarchal that the king who cheats on his wife, rapes a teenager, and then executes several people by burning them alive is held up as a hero. Seriously, the story isn't critical of the king at all, and pretty much everyone was in a terrible position because of his poor decisions and lack of character. I should mention that there are two far, far more popular versions of this story. The first is the heavily sanitized version by Charles Brault, which only took the high points from the story. In it, an angry old fairy curses the princess because she wasn't invited to the girl's birthday party. Everyone thought the angry old fairy was dead. The old woman who inadvertently dooms the girl does try to get medical attention, but it's well known that the girl won't awaken for 100 years. The parents do leave in that one, but a fairy makes a forest of brambles and thorns to shield the forest from the outside world and protect the princess. A young prince who isn't married in this version braves the brambles and arrives at the castle. He still makes the morally unpleasant choice of kissing a sleeping woman he doesn't know because she's just so beautiful, and even though he doesn't know the kiss will free her, free her it does, and she wakes up. There's a little more to the story here, where the prince and sleeping beauty wed in secret, but for some reason the princess half-ogre mom hates her new daughter-in-law and tries to trick her into eating her kids. She doesn't, and the mom tries to force sleeping beauty into a bath full of vipers before her son returns, revealing his mom's ogre lineage, and she ends up taking the very unpleasant bath and dies. The super popular animated adaptation from the mid-20th century was very obviously based on the Peralt version, and not the earlier Basile version we talked about today. It's thought that Basile's version was based on folktales, and an even earlier 16th century late medieval courtly romance, which happens to include the main character falling into an enchanted sleep, and yes, the full-on sexual assault that leads to her getting pregnant. Charles Peralt's version was the first one to get rid of that particular plot point. There's also speculation that the story goes all the way back to the Viking Age. For a long, long-time listeners to this podcast, the Grimm brothers connected the story to that of Sigurd and Brynhild in the saga of the Volsungs. And that's the only reason they included this version in their famous collection of German folklore. For those that have listened to the Volsung episodes, the connection is really a dubious one. Because, yeah, Odin put Brynhild in an enchanted sleep, but Sigurd didn't kiss her or anything. I mean, Brynhild was a Valkyrie. Sigurd would lose his head. Basically, she just woke up because Sigurd was super brave. And then she proceeded to doom him and his entire line. So instead of other announcements and stuff, if you're not listening, we just finished up Dracula on Fictional. If you want to hear our adaptation of that classic gothic horror novel, you can find out the places to listen at fictional.fm by following the link in the show notes or just by searching Fictional wherever you get your podcasts. creature this time is the Hua Hu Tao from Chinese mythology. It's a pet that's kept by one of the gods. He's just a spunky little guy who sometimes manages to escape on his crazy little adventures where he turns into a white-winged elephant and murders as many people as he can manage before his owner decides to come looking for him. I guess to cut down on pet food and cleanup, it's in the form of a little white rat when it's in the presence of its owner. I don't know too much about the god, but he's the god of wealth and he goes by the name of Mo Li Shu, who in addition to his pet elephant, has a supernatural umbrella that he can open to block distractions and help humans focus. What is not helpful for human focus 
is the frequency with which his elephant rat escapes from his panther skin bag home, which is somewhere between kind of a lot and seriously, why does this keep happening? Close the bag. As soon as the creature gets free, it shapeshifts and heads down to earth where it just does way too much killing. Even a little killing is too much in my opinion, but the elephant rat does it to the point where epic heroes had to be summoned to take it out. The elephant rat actually managed to take a few out before it swallowed a fellow shapeshifter, a hero by the name of Yang Chen. When he dropped into the elephant rat's stomach, he hacked away at the heart until it died. Why no one else thought of this is beyond me. That seems like a rookie mistake for an epic hero when it comes to a creature that can eat you whole. Yang Chen, the shapeshifter, had a long con in mind, though. The elephant rat exploded there on the battlefield, immediately replaced by an identical elephant rat. When the god pet owner arrived on the battlefield, he ordered the elephant rat back into the bag, apologized to everyone, and headed back to his celestial abode. That night, elephant rat escaped again. Yang Chen's goal was to make it out with one of the three magical weapons of Qing Kang, but he only managed to snag the one god's focus umbrella before being discovered and chased back to earth. So yeah, he was swallowed by elephant rat and spent the night in a smelly panther skin bag to get slightly better at focusing. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.